To celebrate Women's History Month in March, the American Association of University Women in Clatsop County held a dinner at the Golden Star Restaurant to honor the honorables. Judge Paula Brownhill was the first female judge in Clatsop County. She was later joined by Judge Cindy Matthias and Judge Don McIntosh to form the only all-female judicial team in Oregon. The three women judges were asked to share their experiences, and Judge Brownhill spoke first. But let me start in 1994, and I'll set the stage for you. We had a three-county district, Clatsop, Columbia, and Tillamook. All the judges were older white men. Almost all the judges, circuit judges in Oregon were older white men. There were a handful of women and fewer than that of people of color. So it was not a diverse judiciary. In Clatsop County, we had one circuit court judge and I replaced Tom Edison. We had a district court in the basement of the courthouse. Circuit court was on the second floor and there was almost no interaction between the two courts. We had our own staff. They didn't talk to each other and they didn't work with each other. Judge Edison had been out on disability for about a year, so we had this huge backlog of cases. I was 43 years old and in charge of circuit court. I had no oversight. I could do what I wanted to do as long as I could get elected at the next election. So I inherited Judge Edison's chambers, the beautiful courtroom on the second floor, a brand new trial court administrator. We'd never had one before. Before that, we had Shirley Tinner, and she kept the docket handwritten in a book on her desk. So if you wanted to know what was happening in court, you had to call Shirley. So now we had a, a trial court administrator. I had a court reporter, Rick Adams, and I had a computer I inherited from Judge Edison. He had never turned it on. <laughs> And I also inherited the Vicki Kittles case, which was not a gift. So the first thing I thought, my, my overall goal was to create the best little court in Oregon. So I started with the courtroom. The walls in the courtroom were green, and the jury chairs were lime green plastic. So we brought Michael Foster in, and he suggested Wedgwood blue and antique white. So we, the county painted the courtroom, it was beautiful, replaced the carpet, we replaced the lighting, the sound system, and the jury chairs. And we got blue ergonomic jury chairs, which was really a step up. Then we, um, I studied case management because we had this huge backlog of cases. And I worked with the National Center for State Courts. We set up a, a courtroom in the post office in the basement. And Salem sent us visiting judges, old retired judges like I am now. And they came to the courthouse to the post office and tried cases. That was not a great, great situation. It was a very small room. People were cramped in there. It, it wasn't great, but we got the backlog cleaned up. Not only did we clean up the backlog, but we had one of the best courts in the state of Oregon for meeting the standards of timely disposition that were set by the Supreme Court. I was really proud of this, but not everyone thought it was a good thing. 
And I know Chris Kaino, who is one of our lawyers, told me many times, nobody cares about this but you. <laughs> but I did have people that stopped me on the street in the grocery store saying, when can I get my case tried? So I think there were a few people besides me that appreciated it. Um, we, I also studied jury innovations and again worked with the National Center for State Court. We changed the way juries were selected, which it used to be the lawyer would ask juror number one a series of questions, then jury, juror number two the same questions, and it could take a day to pick a jury. So we revised the jury selection system and allowed the jurors to ask questions during trials, which I thought was really an improvement in the system. And sometimes the jurors asked really great questions. In 1998, then Chief Justice Wally Carson appointed me to the State Family Law Advisory Committee. It was a brand new committee made up of family law professionals from around the state, and it was a great opportunity for me to learn all these innovations in family law. I think Oregon in those days was in the forefront in the nation as far as family law innovations. And I learned so much from the other professionals, and I brought everything back to Clatsop. So we were one of the early courts to have mandatory mediation in contested family law custody cases. We had parent education. Hugh McIsaac was here. He and his wife, Chris, lived in Manzanita. He had been the family court services director in Los Angeles and then in Multnomah County. And he was just a fount of knowledge. He was doing trainings for our custody evaluators and we had a panel of evaluators who agreed to do the evaluations for low fees. So it was available to lots and lots of families. We started our Family Resource Center in the courthouse. We had forms and then, and then the family court facilitator would help people, self-represented litigants, choose the right forms and fill them out. And it was a great program, it still exists. We were one of the first courts to have that. I can't tell you how many hours I worked on forms, family law forms, and now Oregon Judicial Department has a huge inventory of forms for self-represented litigants. The juvenile court was really my passion, and I loved working with the children, especially in the dependency cases, the abused and neglected children. I was one of the founding members of the juvenile Juvenile Engage, Judicial Engagement and Leadership Institute, JELLY, and I chaired the work group on forms in juvenile cases for many years. Back in those days, judges were being reversed, not because they failed to make the correct findings, but they failed to get the correct findings in the judgments. And so a child may go through the court system and then be on hold while the case is on appeal and then it, it's reversed and it comes back. So we developed these forms that would include all of the correct findings and it was really valuable to many courts around the state. The only court that didn't use the forms was Clatsop. <laughs> and we didn't use the forms because we had our own forms that had all the correct findings and they were beautiful. 
<laughs> I loved our forms. Uh, we, when I first started, there wasn't a CASA program. CASA is a court-appointed special advocate. Well, we had some really great CASA directors, and they built the program into what it is today, which is extremely valuable for judges to have those people helping in the courts. I know I went to a training in Washington, D.C. in 2003, and I listened to a judge from L.A. talk about how important it is to get children to come to court in their dependency cases and talk to the judge who's making these life-changing decisions. So I came back and we started requiring kids to come to court in dependency cases. We were one of the first courts in Oregon to do that. We started a family treatment court in 2006, and again, we had a great team of people to get this started. We were working with parents who had addiction issues and their children were in foster care. And we had no money, but we had a really good time. And a, a number of people graduated from our program and stayed clean and sober and raised their kids. Um, I chaired the statewide firearms and domestic violence task force for a few years. That was on the state level. And then we brought the forums back and the protocols back to class. We were one of the first courts to require firearm dispossession in domestic violence cases. And I think everyone in the state does now, just about anyway. We consolidated the district court and the circuit court in 1998. And Judge Nelson was the district court judge. He became a circuit court judge. And the two of us had this enormous caseload that was too much for two people. But we did it for many years. And we worked on evenings and weekends. You could almost always see Judge Nelson's car at the courthouse. And I had been lobbying the legislature for years to get a third judge uh, without success. And then I made the smart move of telling Betsy Johnson that we needed another judge in Classic <laughs> County. And she was like a cat, you know, that brings you the dead mouse and lays it at your feet. She just gave me our third judge. It was fabulous. I don't think we could have done it without Betsy. But... Um, Judge Matthias ran for that office and was elected and started in January of 2007. So that was my world for 25 years. I do have a few regrets. I uh, wish I had spent more time at home with my children when they were growing up and less time in the courthouse. I wish I had understood procedural fairness from the very beginning and treating how important it is to treat people with respect and dignity in the courts, make sure they understand the procedures. I got there eventually, but not soon enough. And I wish I had more patience, but that never changed. <laughs> so it was a great jo job, but I'm really glad that Judge McIntosh and Judge Peterson and Judge Wintermute are doing it now. And I really do think we have the best little court in Oregon. You know, uh, Judge Brownhill is a very hard act to follow because she single-handedly, you know, changed what we were doing. And I came along, um, you know, and, and was able to benefit from all of the uh, changes and procedures and just the way we um, process cases going forward. 
do want to do a little shout out because I ran for um, circuit court, the open position that uh, was created by the legislature. And so it was in 2006 when I actually went to a, an AAUW sponsored debate with my uh, uh, co-runners and uh, there I met Juanita Price. Who sits here today, and I even brought my button, Alex Cindy Matthias. And I think Diane might have made this button actually for the button machine that I think I took for the Girl Scouts. And anyway, and so during that debate, everyone was kind of talking about why why they should be elected judge, and um, uh, Juanita said, you know, if you're elected will you start a mental health court? And so I said, you bet I would, and, and I did. <laughs> or not me, but again, it's, you know, uh, for those of you who aren't aware, um, you know, drug courts have been around the nation for a long time, and Clatsop County was a forerunner in Oregon with a long-standing uh, uh, adult drug court. And the idea about a drug court, specialty court, mental health court, treatment court, is that you know some people don't really do well on standard forms of supervision or probation. They they have issues. They need a little boost. They need some accountability. They need encouragement. They need perhaps a sanction or a redirection. And so the theory around these specialty courts is to build a team of experts. I guess you could say. Uh, which would include uh, the, the judge, uh, a, a coordinator, and um, um, a, a DA or deputy DA, a treatment provider, a probation officer, perhaps a police officer, citizen, um, uh, a participant, uh, treatment, and, and that team would really uh, focus on the individual and come up with a, a plan for that person's success going forward. And so uh, people who are involved in these specialty courts, they show up every week, they report on their status, if they've done their tasks or they're you know, moving forward in their programs and they're either rewarded or, or sanctioned or redirected or encouraged. And, um, and so that's what we did. Uh, we actually, um, uh, my judicial assistant at the time, Darla Ajo is here. She and I, uh, in 2007, when I started, we, we sat down and thought, okay, how are we going to start this? We didn't know how, we had no money, uh, you know, we read uh, some materials, we knew what the, uh, Phil Nelson's um, drug court was doing. I'm not sure if the family treatment court was happening in 2007, but um, we took all the help we could get trying to figure out what to do. And um, the first order of business was to, to, to gather a team uh, together. And we, we actually uh, found a participant first before we even started our program. A young man who many of you might know was a chronic problem in Astoria, uh, committing a lot of um, nuisance type crimes and breaking things and, and uh, stealing things and just was one of those uh, people that just couldn't to get a grip on how to stay out of the criminal justice system and so we decided then and there that he would be our first participant <clears throat> and we told him to come back next week 
And from there, we built our team. We um, got folks together and we would um, meet before court and then go into the courtroom and then check in with the individual. And, and little by little, uh, uh, Josh and his team at the DA's office would send people to us and um, they would begin their probation um, with us. These programs can't really survive without a supportive court administration. And so, you know, we had Judge Nelson, we had Judge Brownhill, uh, and we had our trial court administrators at the time, our current trial court administrator, Julie Brady-Valdes here, and um, giving us time on our docket to focus on these, on the people that were in our program and to have time to go to trainings and to have time to meet with the team and develop you know, individualized programs. And uh, so since 2009, the Clatsop County Treatment Court, Mental Health Court has been uh, running. And I remember um, every couple weeks or so, I would get a big fat packet of reading material from Juanita. <laughs> Just a little reading for you, Jen Matthias. And she would occasionally come to our, our sessions and uh, come to an occasional graduation. And I tell you, you know, um, with, with a small court and three judges, it's super busy and you do everything, you know, from traffic to divorce to estates to murder trials. And, and um, out of all of those experiences that I've had, I would say the most satisfying uh, time I've had was working with our treatment court because you could see uh, change happening right in front of you. You could uh, know that you were doing something. It's so frustrating not to be able to do something like right away and not wait for a program or funding or you know getting the people that you need. Uh, we could just dive in and, and provide what that individual may, be, may need. And so that program continues and it's honestly one of the best things I've ever done as a judge and as a lawyer and as a human. And uh, um, so those of you who haven't been to any of our specialty court programs, I just encourage you to go open to the public and you can mm -hmm. kind of see for yourself sort of this, uh, uh, this um, you know, justice in action. The intersection of you know, behavioral health and the criminal justice system isn't really an easy place for most people. And uh, there are a lot of people that don't belong there, but there's no other place for them. You know. They may commit a crime and that's the only time that they're going to get maybe what they need because they have a little bit of a little bit of a carrot, uh, maybe a little bit of a, a push, maybe a little bit of encouragement. Okay, so those are hard acts to follow in, um, in more ways than one. Uh, I'm Dawn McIntosh and I'm number three. I was the third female judge to take the bench in Clatsop County and I'm the newest and I'm the only one that's still there. You could tell because I look older than both of them. They both, I, I look at them as they walk in when Cindy walked in today and I went, oh my God, you look so good. <laughs> and the same thing with Paula, they, the age goes backwards, I think, when you retire. So, um, but again, it's hard to follow them in speaking. It's even harder to follow the two of them as the next female judge on the bench. Um, I ran for office in 2016, and if you don't like what I do or how I act as a judge, you can blame Josh Marquis and Paula Brownhill for that. <laughs> Josh is the one who brought me to Clatsop County in the first place. He's not the one that put me on the bench. Well, not on purpose anyway, but 
Josh made the mistake when I left his office of calling me the best child abuse prosecutor he'd seen in 22 years, and I used that as a quote in my campaign, even though he'd endorsed the other guy who was working for him. <laughs> so, you know, I saved those things. And, and Paula was the first one to ever ask me if I would consider uh, taking the bench. And Judge Nelson had announced his retirement. She asked me whether I would consider running. And at that point in time, I think I laughed. I thought, are you kidding me? There's no way. Um, I'd always considered myself an advocate. That, that's what I did. I loved being in the courtroom. I loved the advocacy. I'd started as a prosecutor. I'd done that for a long time. Um, I'd gone on to do defense work and most recently family law divorce work. And I loved all of it. Um, I can explain that to you some other time, but I really had loved every piece of my career. Um, and I didn't anticipate that this was going to be the next step. Um, but I gave it some thought and talked to her some more and talked to some other folks and decided that, okay, we'll, we'll go ahead and do this. Little did I know, like I said, um, the tough acts I was going to have to follow. And I have learned so much from both of these uh, women judges that went before me. Judge Brownhill, everything she described is everything I have spent the last few years since COVID trying to make sure it doesn't fall apart. Um, the, the, I don't know how many of you are aware of this. Jody certainly is, but when she talks about the State Family Law Advisory Committee, she single-handedly kept that afloat for 20 years without any funding. And it is one of the most respected statewide committees judicially, and it's, an, it, it's interdependent. There are lawyers on the committee, there are psychologists, there are, and she chaired that committee. How many years did you chair that, 20 years? No, only 15. Oh, only 15. <laughs> and most of that was without a budget. That was when OJD cut the funding. Um, and the work that they did has formed the basis for changes that have dramatically happened in family law in the state of Oregon. In fact, it's why she got the Wallace P. Carson Award the year before she retired, because of her work in that. So those programs that she described to, she's describing them, I'm thinking, absolutely. And I got to be a lawyer watching those come up. And when I took the bench, all I could think about was, I, I've got to make sure that these things keep going. I've got to make sure that we keep meeting our juvenile court timelines. Um, and then I and then I run into Cindy, and, and I can tell you that what I've learned from her um, is the level of compassion and sensitivity that you can have on the bench. Um, I have a sticker on my computer that says, be nice. And that's because I probably have less patience than Judge Brownhill. I remember Josh telling me his concern about how I would be on the bench was temperament because I tend to be impatient with people. And um, it, it, it really is. Anybody who's ever been in Judge Matthias's courtroom sees a completely different side. Sometimes it takes a little longer, but, <laughs> to, but the compassion and the ability to think outside the box, I'm a very left brain linear thinker. What's the statute say? What are the facts? Where does it come out? Um, she had a different approach. And I, I have to tell you, I since, since Judge Matthias has left, our um, uh, it was a great loss in the area of the behavioral health connections and the knowledge base. So um, Judge Peterson's taken over that mental health court and he is doing a great job on it. But she not only handled mental health court, she handled mental health treatment court, our aid and assist fast track docket, and our drug court, all of which are very emotionally draining uh, on a judge, all of which are very um, high needs, um, uh, real time, time constraints on those cases. So. Um, I, I can tell you I miss both of them desperately. My time on the bench has been really colored by COVID. Uh, judge Brownhill retired in October, and I took over as presiding judge uh, with a brand new trial court administrator and two years on the bench and was a little terrified. 
I, uh, March of the following year, I came back from a vacation, walked in the door and got a call from the Chief Justice saying, shut it down. I had no idea what was going on, and that's when COVID hit. And that has been the most dramatic thing I've had to deal with as a judge since the beginning, trying to figure out how to still get cases through, how to still serve the public, how to do it and comply with all the standards and guidelines and keep things safe. Sentencing on a misdemeanor case becomes something completely different when that 20 days in jail could be a death sentence versus you know, what you normally would, would do. Um, but protecting the community, had, it, 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 it changed the dynamic of everything and it really became about how can we pivot, how can we get things done, how can we get people's cases heard, how can we handle these things in a way that um, we don't have to shut down completely. And so Clatsop County was one of the first counties to go to video hearings. Um, I have to tell you as a judge, I don't enjoy them. I much prefer having people in my courtroom. Uh, it's, it's not near as fun to be on a video screen, but it allowed us to get a lot of the hard work done. Uh, the final thing I'll say is this. Um, when, I, when I ran for office, I remember, and I don't know if it was an AAU, UW event, but I did a number of those debates where we got to talk, well, they're not really debates when you're talking, judges are so nice to each other when you're running for office, but, um, <laughs> uh, well, there's the code of judicial conduct, which means you really can't go at it too much. So there's not a lot of arguing that goes on, it's just sort of nice statements. But at one of those events, I was asked by um, another woman in the audience, uh, well, wait a minute, if you're elected, won't that mean it will be all three women judges in Clatsop County? <laughs> I said, yeah. <laughs> she said, and it, 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 it dawned on me, and we were. We were the first. I think we were the only county in the state that has had all women judges at once, at least at that time. I haven't looked it up recently. And now I'm back to, it's just me and the boys. Um, two young, really smart, really great, uh, we're good lawyers and are great judges, but I do miss my sisters on the bench. I really do every day. And Judge Brownhill knows because she's on my speed dial. And I didn't have to fight as hard as Judge Brownhill did to, to get on the bench. I mean, I was asked if I wouldn't be one of three. She broke the barrier here. I mean, it'd be 1994, the first woman in this county to sit on the bench. Uh, that's huge. So, um, and then I was thinking about the fact that there are women in this world right now that are being denied the right to an education and how scary that is and how important it is that the um, younger women in our community don't forget that those that went before us um, paved the way and that it can be taken away just as easily and maybe easier than, uh, than we think sometimes. Judge Don McIntosh, Judge Cindy Matthias, and Judge Paula Brownhill, speaking last month at a dinner in their honor by the American Association of University Women in Clatsop County. This is The Human Beat. I'm Roger Rocca. I thank you for listening to this and all the programs you enjoy, and for your support of KMUN as it celebrates its 40th year of serving the Columbia Pacific region. This is Coast Community Radio, supported by its community since 1983 and propelled each year by more than a hundred community volunteers. Today is the first day of KMUN's spring membership drive. The goal is $70,000 to help support continuing commercial-free news, public affairs, music, and entertainment for Northwest Oregon and Southwest Washington. If you are not yet a member, I hope you will become one today 
and join the good people through these 40 years who have made KMUN an asset and a friend for all of us along this beautiful coast. Pick an amount that's comfortable for you and call us now at 503-325-0010. Our volunteers are eager to hear from you and you'll have the satisfaction of keeping a really good thing going. That's 503-325-0010. 